Hopefully it will be a little less than that, a little shorter than that. Hopefully it will just be today <clears throat> and the next four hours. <laughs> I kid, kind of. <laughs> All right, let's read. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now, now John himself was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Yum. Then then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and don't think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. See, I, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Because his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. And gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, wait, wait, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven. Say, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Um, let's pray, and then we'll uh, talk about Jesus' baptism for a few minutes. Here. Um, Father, I, I need you, God. We need you, God. And as there are uh, so many people um, in groups this morning gathered uh, to remember, to think about uh, Jesus being raised from the dead, uh, my prayer is that we would not neglect our understanding of what that means. That though he died, yet he lives. He's alive right now. He didn't die again after the resurrection. Father, help us. Help us to have eyes to see the reality of you and of your kingdom, of your reign on the earth, of your authority. And help us as we see more, more of how you are 
really God. Help us to trust you. To, to believe you, Lord. And so trusting you to, to learn, to walk with you day by day. Looking to you. Because you know everything. But I need your help. We need your help to do that. Because we, we are easily distracted. So, my Father, would you be our help today, please? By the power of your Spirit, Lord, would you help us? ask that you do it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so, uh, before we jump into chapter 3, I do have a... Uh, I think it's a correction, maybe not a correction. So, last week I referenced a story that I couldn't remember where it was. It was a, We were talking about how um, Jesus left the city of Bethlehem with his family um, because Joseph, his dad, was warned that um, they needed to leave. And, uh, and then Herod, who was sort of the king of this area at the time, this was the first of the Herods, Herod the Great, he was pretty mad that those um, magi, that the wise men, didn't come back to him and tell him where Jesus was. So he sent out and had all the children in the city of Bethlehem, anybody who was two years old or younger, executed. Probably wouldn't have been a whole lot of people, maybe a handful or so. Bethlehem was a very, very small town um, at the time. In fact, it still is. It's only a few miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. It's just south of the city of Jerusalem, but um, it's still a pretty small um, area, and and certainly was back then. But uh, So I referenced this story because I was talking about how sometimes there are um, consequences that can be heartbreaking um, when we look at them like, Jesus was spared and his family's life was spared, but any child that was in Bethlehem uh, under two years old was killed because Herod was jealous that he was told that this new king was born. And of course, Herod had some issues with, uh, with people challenging his authority. Uh, he, so he had others, uh, he had to squash several plots against himself over time. Um, that particular Herod did. His children weren't really much better. But I reference a story kind of along those lines from the book of Acts. And it was actually when Peter, I couldn't remember who it was. It was when Peter was in prison. You might remember the story if you're familiar with the book of Acts. It was when Peter was in prison and uh, a group of Christians were praying for Peter to be released from prison. So they were asking God to release Peter from prison. And uh, all of a sudden, Peter uh, sees that his like shackles come off of him that he's in prison by and the guards that he's by, they're like in this like state, this trance or whatever. And so he gets up and walks out and then the doors of the prison start opening for him. And he thinks he's having a dream. Like he thinks it's a vision because he's like, this is unbelievable. This is crazy, you know. So he thinks he's having a dream. And, uh, and then all of a sudden he comes to his senses and he's like, wait, wait, wait. I'm actually out of the prison now, right? So then he goes to the, to the uh, house where the group of Christians were meeting that were praying for him. He goes to the gate, and this little girl named Rhoda answers the door of the gate, and she hears his voice, and she's like, it's Peter. Uh, but she's so excited, she doesn't let him in at first, and she runs back upstairs to where everybody else is meeting, and she's like, hey guys, so we've been praying for Peter to be released from prison. Well, Peter's here. He's, he's been released, right? And everybody else, this is how, like, funny Christians are, right? They don't believe her. <laughs> They're like, all right, sure. It's just Peter's spirit, right? It's just, it's just like an angel or just like a spirit or whatever. It's not really Peter, you know? And um, so anyway, so eventually she goes back and she lets Peter in and Peter tells a story. But the consequence of that is that those guards that were supposed to be protecting Peter ended up being executed. So it was one of, I was one of those things where I was like, just thinking about the reality of uh, how some, in, in every situation that we go through, we're like, praise the Lord that this thing happened because it's some good thing for some particular person. But sometimes there are consequences for other people that are the direct result of that that aren't good for or what we might think of as good right? for someone else. Like those guards were executed. The command went out for them to be executed. Or even though Jesus, as a baby, he was spared because his family was warned to leave. So they went down to Egypt out of uh, Bethlehem. Uh, the other children who are under two years old, the other boys who are under two years old in Bethlehem uh, ended up being executed by Herod because of his uh, jealousy and uh, uh, he didn't want anybody challenging his authority. And he had been told by this retinue of foreigners, however many rabbi or rabbi, however many magi there were in this group that came to him, he was told by them that a king had been born, the king of the Jews, you know, and this like freaked him out because 
Herod's like, no, 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 bro. I'm the king, right? So he did what kings usually do. He was wanting to squash that rebellion, you know? And so he uh, ordered the children in Bethlehem executed. Anyway, so uh, let's look at, at uh, John, uh, John, at Matthew chapter 3. This is uh, the story of J the B, the beginning part of the story of J the B. Please let's make sure we understand that John is not the first Southern Baptist, right? He's called the Baptist only because it's, it's just a word. It's a Greek word that's translated as Baptist because that's what he did. So they, they describe him based on what his actions were, right? So he's John the Baptizer is, is a, a way that we could say the same thing. He's John the Baptizer. But we like to give everybody titles, right? So like we have Mr. Jesus Christ, right? Even though Christ is, is a title, it's not, it's not his last name. It, it's, a, it's a position. It's the, the anointed one of God, okay? It's a word that's used to describe several people throughout the Old Testament. They were called uh, messiahs or anointed ones of God. In fact, all the kings, the prophets, and the priests themselves would be anointed uh, for their ministry, for their service to God and to the community there in Israel. So, uh, in fact, uh, not only them, King Cyrus, uh, who was not a Jewish person, King Cyrus, in Isaiah's prophecies, was called uh, the anointed one of God at one particular time, but... Uh, Anyway, so in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Sometimes when I read the word wilderness, I think of forest. Don't think that way. Uh, (laughs) Wilderness just, it usually means desert. (laughs) Okay. Um, It means a barren land. Okay. Uh, In in the the text. It's one of the things that we sort of have to uh, wrestle with. with uh, some of the language there. But in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Judea was uh, the southern part of the area of Israel. The southern part is called Judea. In the middle of uh, Israel was an area called Samaria. This is how it was kind of divided in the first century. The middle of it was an area called Samaria. And then above that was the northern territory, the northern area called the Galilee. Okay, and the Galilee was located around the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus ended up being raised in the city of Nazareth, which is up in the northern part of Israel in the Galilee. Keep in mind as we talk about the country of Israel, the nation of Israel, that strip of land from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea is no larger than uh, the state of New Jersey. It's small. It is a tiny little piece of land. And it's still fascinating to me that it holds so much of the world's attention even today. (laughs) So often the world's attention is centered around Israel. Um, And I don't think it's by mistake, um, personally. But uh, there's certainly lots of reasons for that. uh, And they're quite complicated, many of them. But in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Here's what he was saying. Here's what his message was. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so the first word I want us to think about is this word repent. The word repent means uh, literally, a literal definition of repent means to change your mind about something. The word is metanoia. Remember the New Testament was written in the common Greek language of the first century. And that word, that Greek word metanoia, means to change your mind about something. That's what repent means. To change your mind. And I know that sometimes we take it a step further and we, some have suggested a military use of the term as a term that means about face, right? So you're facing one way and you about face, you turn and face the other direction. That's kind of the idea maybe, but it, it literally means change your mind. Repent. So this is John's call to his community, to uh, the area of Judea. Repent, and here's why. Change your mind because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, Kingdom of heaven is a phrase that is primarily used in Matthew's gospel. I think it's an interesting one. Most of the other gospels, whether it's Mark, Luke, or John, the other gospel writers that tell us stories of things that happen in the life of Jesus, typically refer to God's authority or God's kingdom as the kingdom of God. Matthew specifically uses this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. And if you actually look at the the Greek language there, heaven is not singular. It's actually a plural word, kingdom of the heavens, uh, which is a very Jewish, a very Hebrew way of understanding the world. The Jews uh, believed that there were three heavens, if you would. Uh, There was the heaven that um, 
the atmosphere around us, the earth. The word heaven, by the way, just means space. <laughs> okay? It just means a, a, a vast space, essentially. So, um, so there's the heaven around us, and there's the heaven beyond the earth, right? That's where the stars are, the other planets, all that stuff. That's the heavens. And there was the third heaven, which is the place where they believed that God was. Okay? It's a very common Jewish way of thinking about the world and about uh, creation itself. So Matthew says that John's message was repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. And I think it's interesting. There's a very common Jewish blessing um, uh, or title for God that's included in a lot of Jewish blessings. And the title is, um, if I can say it correctly, is Vimelech. Uh, Haolam or Baolam, and it means the sovereign of the universe or the king of the universe. And I think that's very interesting because it's almost exactly what John is saying here. The Jews had this common phrase that God was the sovereign one of the universe, and John's saying the sovereign of the heavens, the king of the heavens, right? You and I, we've grown up in this um, republic um, in America. I think that in some ways we don't understand what monarchy was really like, Ab- particularly absolute monarchies, like they were in ancient, like there were in several ancient um, communities. So uh, this idea of God being the sovereign, the king of the universe, the king of the heavens, and what's in the heavens? Everything. <laughs> okay, everything, everything. He's the king of everything. So his kingdom is at hand. It's a very poetic way of saying it's within reach. Do you get that? His kingdom is at hand. If something is at hand, that means it's near enough to grab. That's the idea. Okay? So that's John the Baptist's message. He comes along in the the desert in Judea, and he says, change your minds, because the kingdom of the heavens is within reach. Now, Israel has not heard an official word of the Lord, an oracle from God, an official prophet for somewhere around 400 years. That's a long time. America has been a country for a little over 200 years. That's all, the whole time America has been a country, right? So for around 400 years, Israel had never, they hadn't had a prophet from the Lord speaking the oracle of God, the word of God. And all of a sudden this man, who is quite frankly a weirdo, Right? We'll get to his description in a second. He's weird, y'all. This isn't like a normal like thing. He's, he's out there eating, just eating bugs and honey, wearing his camel skin jacket. <laughs> you know, he, the, the idea here is that he, it's attention grabbing, right? But it's also very similar to some of, the old, some of the older prophets, right? Like Ezekiel and Isaiah, Jeremiah, some of the others. If you read through Ezekiel's prophecies, the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament is weird. It is weird. Ezekiel was weird. The things God wanted Ezekiel to do were just weird. Okay? And in fact, some of them were so weird that Ezekiel argued with God about them. Like, I don't want to do that. Because <laughs> it was weird. But all of them were instructive. All of them were to paint pictures. All of them were to, to present a message about what God was saying to his people. Okay? So this was John the Baptist's message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as is Matthew's custom, he's linking John the Baptist. What's happening now in the the story of Jesus, he's linking it to the promises that God gave the nation of Israel hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. This is one of the things that Matthew does over and over and over again. God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, Israel, to Judah, to David. God promised things to these people and we have records of them in the Hebrew scriptures. And now Jesus is coming. He's the fulfillment of the things that God had promised them. Okay, so here's the prophet Isaiah saying in verse three, this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Jesus is going to reference another prophecy later on that specifically mentions um, um, Elijah coming and he says that John the Baptist is a person who came in the spirit and the power of Elijah before uh, Jesus came, before his death. So John sort of fulfills that role there. And this is a quote from the prophet Isaiah written uh, probably 600 or years before Jesus, before John. 
another thing to keep in mind, which we'll get there in a second, but John and Jesus are uh, relatives, not really distant relatives, uh, but they are relatives. They're related to each other. And John the Baptist is about six months older than Jesus was. So, um, now, here's a description of John. Now, John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. <sighs> I'm just really glad that I don't have to be John the Baptist. <laughs> I mean, I like wild honey, but I've yet to eat a locust, so I don't know. Maybe they're great. <laughs> but I don't, I, I don't, I'm not interested in finding out, you know. <laughs> uh, crunchy, I imagine they'd be crunchy, you know, they have like those shell things. Well, anyway, I I don't know. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay, so John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan. And here's what they were doing when they heard John's message saying, Change your mind, because the kingdom of God is near, is within reach. They confessed their sins. They came and they were baptized and they confessed their sins. Now, here's something about baptism. The word means to immerse something, to put something underwater is what baptize means, okay? Um, to immerse something or to, to overflow or to cover something with something else, okay? Traditionally, we think of baptism. Most of our minds maybe go to water baptism. We've seen people out with pastors or whatever being baptized in water, things like that, or maybe some other uh, traditions related to baptism. But the word itself, just the literal definition of the word just means to immerse something, Okay? So, this was not a, as you can see, Jesus is not even starting his public ministry yet. This is sort of the, the um, I would say the inauguration of it. It, it really is that. But um, it, he, he hasn't even started anything yet. Jesus himself ends up never baptizing anybody. John, uh, or Paul rather, when Paul's writing one of his uh, letters to the church at Corinth, he's like, I baptized a few of you guys, but I'm glad I didn't baptize most of you, you know. And because uh, he said, Paul, God didn't send me to baptize. He sent me to preach the gospel to people, right? He's not saying that baptism is important. But the point that I want to make with it is that baptism was not a Christian practice. It was something that was already done, okay? And then because Jesus commanded his followers to baptize people, they picked it up, okay? It was a normal part of Jewish life, something that rabbis already did. In fact, uh, it's been written in Jewish history that if a Gentile, a Gentile or the Hebrew word is goyim, anybody who's not Jewish, if you want to become a Jew, uh, at least kind of ceremonially, if you want to bind yourself to, to Torah, to the keeping of the law, and, and become a, a Jewish person or follow the religion of Judaism, uh, you would, part of the process would involve being baptized into Judaism. Okay? It was something that was already done. That's why we see John the Baptist on here, on the scene here, baptizing people in the Jordan River, which is uh, a notoriously a dirty river. <laughs> but he, he baptized people in the river. And... Uh, <clears throat> His message was, change your mind. And all the people around the area, they now start to come to John to hear this message and to be baptized by him in the Jordan, to be dunked in the water. And what they were doing was they were confessing their sins. Um, the word confess is a good word. The word is uh, typically the Greek word uh, that we translate as confess is homo legeo. It's a word that means to say the same thing. Legeo is to speak. Um, or, or the, the idea of the word, which is logos, that's the root of legeo. It means to speak something, and homo means the same, right? We still use that same prefix even in English, right? So um, homo legeo means to speak the same thing. So confession is simply saying the same thing. And I think the best way to think of it is saying the same thing that God says <laughs> about your sin, right? To, to say the same thing about it, so to confess it. Okay, that's what they were doing. Um, John is baptizing people. 
the idea of baptism seems to be the common idea of baptism uh, amongst the Jews was that when you were baptized by a particular person, let's say you were baptized by a particular rabbi or teacher, uh, what you were saying by being baptized by them was, I am identifying myself with their message. I'm, I'm putting myself under the things that they're speaking, the things that they're teaching. I'm, I'm being identified with this person, with this message. And that's what was happening here with John the Baptist. People were coming out and they were identifying themselves with John's message. What was his message? His message was change your mind, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. It's close. It's at hand. The kingdom, the, the sovereignty of the universe, right? The kingdom of the heavens is near. Um, now, verse 7 says this. But when he saw... <laughs> I, I love John. <laughs> I just love John. Uh, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism... Now, pause for a second. Pharisees and Sadducees are typically known as leaders amongst the people of Israel. Uh, Israel was primarily led, at least internally. Remember, at this time, they, were, they had been conquered by the Roman Empire, so they were under Roman authority as far as like the death penalty and other things. They couldn't execute somebody without permission from Rome itself. They were under the Roman Empire at this time in the first century. But um, they, they had some sovereignty in that they had a group of 70 leaders, the Sanhedrin, that... Uh, they would make decisions essentially for the nation of Israel, most of the time related to uh, their their own internal negotiations, how they handled things uh, amongst themselves. That's what the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin would do. And it was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, Pharisees themselves were apparently... Uh, the Pharisees themselves kind of tied themselves up with some of the authority of Rome, some of the leadership of Rome. The Sadducees stayed a little bit out of that, but the Sadducees actually mostly were in charge of and ran the priesthood, okay? Those that were serving at the temple in Israel, the place where they were to worship God. So that's kind of what one of the primary positions that the Sadducees were. Interesting thing about the Pharisees is that they were very, very strict about their traditions, about the things that they, their uh, leaders had taught them over the years. And they had come up with all sorts of extra laws and rules about what it meant to obey God's commands. Like when God said in the Ten Commandments, he told Israel, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, right? Saturday. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, they said, well, how do we do that? And then they came up with a long list of things as to what it looks like to keep the Sabbath day, including things like this, like don't start a fire on the Sabbath day. Right? So if you want to keep Sabbath, you don't start a fire on the Sabbath day. Now, modern uh, Jews have in Israel Sabbath elevators that go up and down in their buildings today, they go up and down, not today, it would have been yesterday, the Sabbath day, but they go up and down uh, in their buildings and they stop on every floor, <laughs> they go down and they stop on every floor so that if a Jew wants to keep Sabbath, he doesn't have to push the button. Because if you push the button, there's a spark of electricity that lights it up and that's starting a fire. And you can't start a fire on the Sabbath day. Okay? My oven has Sabbath mode. Yes, there are, there are some ovens and other appliances that have Sabbath mode uh, specifically for that so that you're not actually starting a fire on the Sabbath day. Right. So uh, typically it would be that your travel is limited to where you could walk to on the Sabbath day. That would be the normal, uh, the normal mode of things. So that's why sometimes in the Bible you'll hear this phrase, a Sabbath, a Sabbath day's journey. And the idea is somewhere that you could go to and get back within a day walking. Sabbath day, well, Sabbath day journey. Animals. So, they I'm sorry. What do you mean? Well, then they they couldn't use them to walk. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, because they'd be working. They weren't allowed to. Some of the times when Jesus would heal people that that weren't uh, that like their legs were not working, Jesus would heal them, and he'd say, "Take up your take up the mat you were laying on and walk." Right. So they'd roll it up and they'd start walking away. Jesus healed their legs, right? And then the Pharisees would get all mad because they'd be like, "Why are you carrying a burden on the Sabbath day?" You know, because because that was work, right? And the Sabbath day, God said, you better not work on the Sabbath day. At least that's how they interpreted it, right? So they came up with all of these rules and all of these traditions about what it meant to keep the Sabbath day. 
And they had elevated these rules and these traditions so high, even above the actual commands of God, that they became the law, and they looked down on everybody else that didn't keep it, right? I'm so glad there's nobody that does that anymore. I'm so glad there's nobody that comes up with traditions or rules and regulations that they think we need to do, even though God never said them. And then they look down on people who don't keep those same things. I'm so glad that doesn't happen anymore. Ha ha, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, right? There are lots of ways that um, we can do that sometimes. Okay, It even went so far as to say this. like You couldn't spit on the ground on the Sabbath day. Because if the spittle rolled in the dirt, that was making mud. And mud is used for building. And that's work. So you can't spit on the ground on the Sabbath day. I mean, elaborate, very <laughs> detailed... On, on what it means to, uh, to keep the Sabbath day. It was primarily Pharisees who were coming up with those things and, and some of those traditions that, uh, and holding very strictly, hold, holding very tightly to them. Jesus, we get later in the story, Jesus is going to blast the Pharisees at a particular point in the story. We'll get there in a couple of chapters. It's actually a few chapters away. But uh, anyways, so that was one group were the Pharisees, okay? The other, this other group were the Sadducees. And it's been said they were sad, you see. Uh, The the Bible uh, describes the Sadducees to us as a group of people who were, these were the people who were primarily leading the priesthood, the the place where they worshipped God. And the Sadducees, listen to this, they believed the Torah, which was the first five books of the Old Testament, the law, the law of Moses, the books of Moses, they believed that to be true. They didn't necessarily hold to the rest of the Tanakh, which is what we commonly think of as our Old Testament, the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. But they, they believed in the authority of the Torah, but they did not believe in the resurrection from the dead at all. They did not believe in angels or spirits. They didn't believe in miracles. These are the priests in the temple. <laughs> Okay? They didn't believe in any of those things, right? In fact, they tried to confront Jesus and they tried to trick him at one point into having a problem with the resurrection from the dead with the fact that when a body dies, that person is still alive because we are spirits in a body. So, man, we're so different than the rest of the animals. Anybody that doesn't recognize that is just, just insane. <laughs> we're so different than the rest of the animals are, right? We are spirits inside of a body and even when this body dies our spirit goes on okay it's it's uh something that many of the not many some of the jews believe but the sadducees did not believe in the resurrection from the dead they did not believe in angels or spirits or any of those things and they tried to trick jesus by saying listen this woman married this older brother and then that guy died and then the law of the levirate marriage said that she had to marry his next youngest brother and she married him and then he died and she married the next youngest brother and he died and she married the next on and on and on until like all seven of these guys died, right? And of course, by that time, you better be questioning like her cooking or something, right? Like, these seven brothers, you just dev- she, this woman devastated this family, right? I mean, this is, this is their illustration, okay? This is like the illustration they're drawing for Jesus. So, Their question for Jesus becomes, so in the resurrection from the dead, if there really is a resurrection, Jesus, that's kind of my paraphrase, right? That's kind of their attitude, right? If there really is a resurrection, because they don't believe there is, when when the dead are raised, whose wife is she? Because she had seven people, you know, as her husband. And um, Jesus is just like, listen, listen, dudes, you guys just don't understand. (laughs) You don't understand the resurrection, from the dead. You don't understand what that whole deal is going to look like. Uh, but he used a one passage in the Old Testament where God speaks to Moses. And he says to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's his rebuttal to their argument that there is no resurrection. And I, I've always found that fascinating. Jesus just said, listen guys, when Moses was ta- when God was talking to Moses... God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how we know there's resurrection from the dead. <laughs> Wait a minute. What? <laughs> See, the deal is, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been dead for like 400 years when God spoke to Moses. And when God was speaking to him, he was saying, right now, I am their God. Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though their bodies had died, they were still alive. 
Their spirits were alive. And that's what God was saying. That's what Jesus was revealing to them. There is indeed resurrection. Okay. But that was the Sadducees. So these two groups start to come out to John the Baptist baptism. John is this new prophet on the scene. The hype is real. And uh, everybody comes out. His message is change your mind. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within grasp. It's within reach. And he's in fulfillment of the promise given to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40. That's that uh, voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Because John was the one who came to recognize who the Messiah was. And and I'm going to talk about why in just a second here. But um, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers. (laughs) This is why I love John the Baptist. (laughs) When he first starts talking to these guys, he's like, you guys are just a den of snakes. You're just like a family of snakes. That's all you are. These are the leaders, right? These are essentially the political and religious leaders of Israel. And he's saying, you're all a bunch of snakes. Man, I'm so glad that we don't live in a world where the political and religious leaders are all a bunch of snakes anymore. Isn't that so great? That That's not true anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, sometimes I drip with so much sarcasm. <laughs> When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? (laughs) It's almost like he's saying, why are you guys here? Like, who even told you guys? But there is this statement of coming wrath. God is going to judge the world. Sin makes God angry. And I know that sometimes maybe that's not a cool idea that people like to talk about too much anymore in churches because we like want everybody to be happy and butterfly thoughts or whatever. I don't know. But I am really glad that God gets angry because the world is really, really messed up. And people do really, really awful things. And if God was not angry at them, I would question whether or not he was good. The only problem is that I also do bad things. That is why I need a Savior. God is just. And He's also full of mercy and loving kindness. But He's good. And for me as a dad, I look at my own kids and one of my kids mistreats someone or if somebody mistreats my kids, you better believe that I get angry because I love them. I love them. It makes me angry. It makes me angry when they mistreat each other. And even on my lower miniature messed up scale, right? I can only imagine the fury, the righteous indignation is the I think the right way to think of it. The right anger toward destruction and rebellion and sin. Because all sin does is end in death. The wages of sin is death. And God looks at the world and sees that all of our rebellion against him is producing all of this death everywhere around us. There is a wrath that's coming. But John's question to the Pharisees and Sadducees is, who told you guys? Who told you guys to run away from the wrath that's coming? (laughs) It's almost like he's saying, I wasn't going, I wasn't telling you guys. (laughs) Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? But here's his message to them. Therefore, because of that, because you have heard, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. This idea of bearing fruit is something we see over and over and over and over again in the Bible. It's a common illustration used in the Bible. Okay, If a tree or a vine or a plant that is a fruit-bearing tree or vine or plant, if it is healthy and doing well, if it is what it is, what's it going to do? Produce fruit okay and if not something needs to be done so that it will produce fruit or it needs to be cleared out so that something else can be put there that will produce fruit right so this is a common uh, phrase that's used in a number of ways throughout the scriptures and the idea i hope you can understand the idea it's very simple bear fruits worthy of repentance you say you've changed your mind then it should look like something right 
It's going to produce something in your life. If you say you've changed your mind about Jesus, you say that you've changed your mind about the coming of the kingdom of the heavens, which is what John's message was, repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. If, if that's true, then bear fruits worthy of repentance. James picks that same idea up when he says faith without works is dead. A person that says they believe God and then doesn't obey God doesn't actually believe him. Right? You don't trust him if you're not doing what he says to do. It's, it's a very normal idea. You and I do the things that we really trust in, that we really want to do. And that's what makes our rebellion real scary. <laughs> because we do the things that we want to. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance And do not think to say to yourselves, because this was a common idea amongst Jews, don't think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, right? Here's what many Jews would say. They'd say, listen, we're good with God because we're descendants of Abraham, right? We are God's chosen people. So me and God are down. That's kind of the way that they thought of it. Again, this, this is something that we see even in churches now, right? People are like, no, me and God are down because like my parents used to go to church or my grandparents went to church or whatever. Right? No, that's not how it works, guys. You need to trust him. God wants you to know him, to become a child of his by believing him, right? So that was their sort of common idea or common rebuke. Uh, Don't think to say to yourselves, John the Baptist says, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. (laughs) Might sound weird, maybe, but God can do whatever he wants. One of my favorite phrases is that, is this, um, there is one God who has existed forever. And the Bible teaches us that he exists forever as three persons, as father as Son, and as Spirit, or the Holy Spirit as we refer to Him. But there's only one God. And the only things that exist in the world, in anywhere, are God and things that God made. That's it. God is the ever-present one, the uncreated being. The only things that exist are God and then stuff God made. Everything else outside of God that's not God is just something He made, whether it was angels whether it's planets and stars and galaxies, it's just stuff God made. Uh, People, animals, it's all just stuff that God made. And because that's true, God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to whomever he wants, in whatever way he wants, because nobody can tell him otherwise. (laughs) Because there's only one. There's only one God. (laughs) And everything else that exists is just something that, that this one God made. That's why it's amazing to me that this God would stoop down so low to come to earth in a human body so that you and I could know him and learn that he loves us and he loves us so much that the thing that we needed removed from us, that we might live with him forever, our sin against him, he dealt with by himself. He dealt with for us, you guys, so that we could live forever with him and anyone who will trust him. Anyone who will believe him. So the common rebuke of the Jews would be, we have Abraham as our father. But John says, I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. It's not good enough that your mom or your dad went to church. It's not good enough that your aunt or your uncle or your your brother or your sister or whatever. And it's not even about going to church. It's about you trusting in the risen Savior Jesus, believing God and what he's done through Jesus, that he's alive right now. This is the great news, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried and God raised him from the dead. That means he's alive right now. And this is why Christians are crazy people. Because we say somebody came back from the dead and never died again. But we have good reason to believe that. Because he was seen by not only the twelve, the 11 apostles at that time, not only was he seen by the 11 He was also seen by several others. There were many women who followed Jesus. They also saw him after he was raised from the dead, including a group of 500 people all at one time on a hillside in in Israel. They all saw Jesus and some of them touched him. Many of them talked to him. Some of them ate with him after he came back from the dead. 
And then that primary group of them watched him, watched his body ascend back into the sky. Crazy. That's just crazy. Okay? But that is what the Bible says happened. And the people who wrote these stories, they were murdered because they told people this. All they had to do was change the story. All they had to do was say they were lying. All they had to do was show where they hid Jesus' body. But none of them did that. All of them were killed. Except John, not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle. They tried to kill John by throwing him into a vat of boiling oil, but it didn't work. So then they sent him out to a prison island called Patmos. And there he received the last book of the Bible, the revelation of Jesus. And then as he was an old man, he traveled around the early churches, just looking at everybody and saying, little children love one another. (laughs) Just love each other. But anyways, I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. John the Baptist's reply was to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. This is a statement about coming judgment. And I think in a lot of ways this applies very directly to the nation of Israel in the first century. Jesus was being presented to them as the fulfillment of all the promises God had given them. But as a whole, the nation of Israel would end up rejecting the Messiah and would be cut down. It was within this generation, it was in 70 AD that a a Roman general named Titus Vespasian, this was before he became emperor, Titus Vespasian rolled through with the Roman armies through the area of Israel and devastated the country of Israel. And then by accident, the story goes, actually burned down the temple itself. But because the temple was overlaid with so much gold, they wanted to get all the gold from it because that's riches, man. So what they did was they took every stone on the temple mount and they threw them all into the Kidron Valley. The temple was built right on the, on the hillside there. And they threw all the stones down into the, temp, into the Kidron Valley where the brook Kidron used to be. Threw all the stones there so they could get all the melted gold out from underneath everything. And these were enormous, massive stones that had been used for the construction of the temple. This is where the, the temple mount is there today. The Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, is there, as well as the Dome of the Rock Monument, uh, both Muslim uh, icons. And then another little uh, thing, a little bit north of that, called the Dome of the Tablets, which is real interesting because... Some people have said that the temple was probably built on that northern part of the Temple Mount. And inside the temple originally would have been the Ark of the Covenant, which would have had the two stone tablets that Moses brought down that had uh, the Ten Commandments on them. Yeah, you guys remember Charlton Heston, right? <laughs> they play that movie every year at Christmas. you know, so, Or at, at uh, Easter, sorry. Uh, the Ten Commandments movie, but anyways... Um, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. See, John says, I indeed baptize you with water to repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is both a promise of blessing and of judgment. John says that Jesus is going to baptize, that the one coming after him, he hasn't identified him yet, but he says the one coming after him is mightier than John is. And he's going to baptize or immerse in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And listen, this kind of fire ain't a good fire. He says that he will burn up. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Okay? Uh, Certainly, uh, when you are threshing wheat, you throw the the grains after you stomp on them. You throw them up in the air and the wind blows the lighter outer shell away. That's the chaff part. So that the grain itself, the wheat itself, falls to the ground. That's how you thresh wheat. Okay, and usually it was done on a hillside or somewhere where there was wind so the wind could blow the chaff away. And then you could gather that chaff up, all of that stuff, and then you would just burn it because it's useless. It's nothing. It's not good for anything. But the wheat itself is the good thing. And that's a common illustration used throughout the scriptures to speak of God and his judgment, of God 
um, separating those who belong to him from those who don't. Okay, and this it's used the same way here by John the Baptist to speak of that same idea. But John says, even though I'm baptizing you with water, I'm immersing you in water, the one who's coming after me is going to immerse you in the Spirit of God, in the Holy Spirits. The way that it's referred to holy just means not like any other, <laughs> right? Not, not a common spirit. Um, you may, we may hear the term Holy Ghost sometimes, Holy Spirit, depending on translation. The uh, Greek and Hebrew are both interesting languages. Hebrew is what most of the Old Testament was written in. Greek is what most of the New Testament was written in. They're very interesting languages in that they have one word that means wind, breath, spirit, ghost. It's just one word in each of those languages. In Hebrew, it's ruach. And in uh, Greek, it's pneuma. It's just one word that means like breath, wind, spirit. But you get the idea, right? Understanding that helps you to get the idea of what, what's being referred to here. right? So by the Holy Spirit of God. Um, uh, we'll finish up. Let's finish up real quickly. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? So now Jesus, who is John's uh, cousin-ish, um, their moms were cousins, is the idea here. Uh, Mary and Elizabeth. Elizabeth was John the Baptist's mom. Mary is Jesus' mom. They were cousins. So uh, they were about six months apart. John the Baptist about six months older than Jesus. Uh, so they were related. And uh, when Jesus comes out to where John is located now, and John's baptizing people saying, change your mind because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He sees Jesus come and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. slow, slow up now. You're coming to me to be baptized, but in reality, I should be baptized by you, Jesus, right? This is like John's way of recognizing Jesus and recognizing that as he's seen Jesus' life, Jesus is not like other people, okay? Jesus didn't need to repent. Jesus didn't need to change his mind about anything. Jesus didn't need to participate in John's baptism of repentance, Keep in mind that the baptism of John is not Christian baptism. It's not baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that's referred to later on, something that Jesus commissioned uh, for us to practice later on. This is something uh, prior to that, a different baptism than that. Jesus comes out and John's like, whoa, I should be baptized by you and you're coming to me to be baptized? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now or let it happen now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then... He allowed him. So when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Obviously, alighting just means like landing on him. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I cannot imagine that kind of craziness. I mean, what we're talking about here is is remarkable, is incredible. John would say, it's recorded for us in, in another gospel, that John said, I didn't really know who he was. That's why I came baptizing, because John knew, God had told John that he was to go out baptizing, and that he would be the one, the prophet, who would recognize the king of Israel. And by the way, this is kind of where the story is plugged into the rest of Hebrew history. You see, before any of the other kings became king, guess what happened? They were all first anointed by, with oil. It was a way, a symbol showing that they were chosen by God, anointed by the Holy Spirit of God to be king of Israel. It happened with Saul, it happened with David, it happened with others. It was the way that they were recognizing that God's spirit was on them. That they were God's chosen person. Okay? And that's where this story comes into play. Because what happens? Jesus comes out to John's baptism. He gets baptized. When he comes out of the water, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove, looks like a dove, and lands on Jesus' shoulder. This symbol, this illustration that God's Spirit is on Jesus. And this is sort of his... The recognition of his authority. It's the beginning of his public ministry. It was the same spirit that now came down on him that ends up in the next chapter driving him into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. 
okay? The Spirit of God led Jesus into the, into the desert, into the wilderness, to be tempted or tested by the devil. That's the very next chapter here, Matthew chapter 4. Okay? After the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove, a voice is heard that says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In this story we see, in this particular part right here, we see all three of the persons whom we know to make up the one God. Jesus is there in the water with John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and lands on his shoulder. And then while Jesus is there in the water... A voice speaks from the heavens and says, This is my beloved Son, the Father speaks, in whom I am well pleased. Again, the thing that shocks me about this message, about this reality, is that the people, the people who recorded this for us, the people who went about in the early centuries telling people about Jesus and what he did, they were all murdered for it. I mean, why didn't they just change their story if they were lying? Why didn't they just say something different? I think certainly is a tribute to the reality that it just was what happened. See, if I believe that if I believe that God created everything out of nothing, then God speaking audibly from the heavens is no big deal. <laughs> he can do whatever he wants. He made everything out of nothing. But now the Spirit of God descends on Jesus. In Jesus' first sermon, when he gets back up to Nazareth, he stands up in the synagogue and he reads and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, (laughs) to proclaim liberty to the slaves, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And I think in a lot of ways, maybe a reference to the Jubilee, the 50th year celebration that Israel never celebrated. (laughs) They never actually had a a jubilee year. In fact, they never took the seven years off. During the 490 years, during the time of the kings, when Israel was in the land of promise, God said, every seven years, don't farm in the land. I'll take care of you. Let the land rest. And Israel didn't do it. They wanted to get ahead. They're good workers. (laughs) We can do more if if we do. We don't need to trust God. Let's keep working, you know. So God took them out of the land for 70 years. Because every seven years, they were supposed to let the land rest. And they didn't do that for 490 years. So that means there were 70 years that the land needed to rest. (laughs) And so they were in Babylon for how long? 70 years. While the land of Israel rested. And then God brought them back. Eventually. I think that... um, the main point of what Matthew is showing us here in Matthew chapter 3 is this reality that Jesus is the one anointed by God. The sovereign of the universe and the kingdom of the universe, the kingdom of the heavens was near to Israel. was near. They could grasp. They could participate in. They could be a part of it. But most of the Jews rejected him. Now keep in mind, this isn't true of all of the Jews. All of the first Christians were Jews. All of them. In fact, when God first started saving people who were not Jews at Pentecost or after Pentecost in the book of Acts, it was weird to the Jewish people. <laughs> okay? And it took, some, it took God teaching them some lessons for them to accept people who were non-Jews into, into um, their Messiah, into the uh, relationship with this Jewish Messiah, Jesus. Okay? So... Um, that stands, I think if nothing else, that stands as the, the primary recognition for us. And the question, maybe, that we need to make sure that we've settled, certainly, is that whether or not we've trusted him, right? Whether or not we know him. Um, whether or not we believe that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried and raised from the dead. But it also begs this question, this reality of the the presence of God's kingdom. God really is the sovereign of the universe, the one in control of everything. And maybe that's hard to understand because we see so much around us that is 
not good. I get that. God has also given us humans responsibility. He's called us to make choices, and we make bad choices sometimes. (laughs) And God lets us make those bad choices sometimes. And there are consequences for those things. Right? Sometimes people think, well, if God really is God, why doesn't he just make everything good and everything right or whatever? Like you, re- you realize that means he just has to destroy you, right? Because you and me, we are good. We need someone to rescue us. And this is why God sent Jesus. But the reality of his kingdom is not only that one day. There's a promise Jesus gave us the promise when he ascended back to heaven that one day he was going to come back down to earth and make everything right. That's something that Christians have held on to for 2,000 years, that Jesus is coming back. In fact, Peter wrote about it, and he's like, listen, I know that some people think you're crazy because you believe that Jesus is going to come back, but that's what he told us. And Peter lived with Jesus. Peter walked with him. Peter talked with him. He saw him after the resurrection. He saw him ascend back into the sky, man. And Peter, Peter says, Jesus said he's coming back. It's been a long time now. God is very patient. More patient than me, that's for sure. Most people are more patient than me. (laughs) Um, But I wonder if you and I can understand or, or live in the reality that God is not only in charge of things then when Jesus comes back. But he is even now the sovereign of the universe in our lives. And we can, as we live, we can be demonstrating to the world around us what the kingdom of God is like. What God's authority, God's rule is like. And as Paul would say in one of his letters in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would say, the kingdom of heaven isn't eating or drinking because some people get all caught up in these Epicurean things. It's like the kingdom of heaven isn't eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. These are things that God has promised for us now, that we get to live in now. The kingdom of heaven is within reach, within grasp, you guys. It's near to us. And we enter in and we enjoy these things by one simple thing. Believe Him. Lay your hope, lay your trust in Him. Not in yourself. Not in President Trump or in some other political leader. (laughs) Trust in God. Lay your trust in Jesus. Not that some political system is going to make everything right. Not that the next job or the next marriage or the next whatever, you know, tax return is what's really going to change things for you. But you and I can enjoy and experience the reality of the reign of God, His authority in the heavens right now, today, because Jesus is alive right now. And right before he left his disciples, he said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. And the only question that I have is, do you believe that to be true? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So you go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because one day he's coming back and he's rescuing everyone who's trusted him. This is the great news. Not that we make ourselves better, but that Jesus rescues sinners. And he says to you, I want you to trust me. I want you to believe me. To lay your hope in me and not in yourself, not in your ability, not in you or in anything else, but in me alone. And I will rescue you. And I will change you. These are the things that he's promised us. And my hope is that we would learn more and more about it. What it means to be in the kingdom of the heavens. (laughs) The kingdom that was brought near to Israel.
and then because of their rejection offered to non-Jews <laughs> to the Gentiles <laughs> okay something that Paul picks up later we won't. anyways let's pray Father, I thank you. I thank you for the grace that you've given us. I pray that you would help us to rejoice in the reality that Jesus is alive right now. That he came out of that grave, his body transformed, alive, never to die again. And the people who saw him, they were killed because they kept telling people that, that he came back. Lord, would you help us to live every day in our marriages and with our kids when we wrestle with doctors telling us that things are incurable. When we wrestle with with situations like where the doctor says there's no heartbeat. When we wrestle with dealing with how people have hurt us in the past. How we've been mistreated by friends or by people that we love or by our family members. How we can know that you are greater than all of those things and that you're with us now and that you care about us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to believe you. Please teach us to trust you more, I pray. You really are the sovereign of the universe. And I pray that you would do what you want to with our lives and that we would be people who learn that you're good and that you're right and that everything you do is good and right and true. And that we can trust you even when you allow things in our lives that we think are hard. Lord, would you keep changing us, I pray. Please do it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, you guys. Thank you. Happy Easter. Uh, (laughs) um, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace, you guys. A um, couple of um, things I just wanted to mention. We, I went yesterday to a, a place that we were looking at possibly uh, for meeting outside of the house. And uh, it's uh, basically like a, a little office complex. They use uh, area, some of the area as a school, most of it as a, a school. Uh, but it's an option for us it's not a big place but it certainly is plenty of room um for us and there'll be room for more uh, folks to come and room for our kids because like you guys keep having kids and there's like a bunch of kids that <laughs> meet with us and that's super awesome <laughs> um, uh, but a way a place where maybe we can uh, it'll be useful for us in continuing our goal which is just to uh, teach each other to follow jesus right because um, jesus is life so anyhow something please be praying about that as we're uh, considering that stuff. And um, I think that's it for now. So, yeah. yeah. All right, you guys. The Lord bless you. You're dismissed. Also, everybody's welcome to stay. There's like a bunch of food, I guess, it's coming. I, I think I was supposed to say everybody can stay if they want to stay. So, uh, everybody's food. Everybody's food. Everybody's not food. Please don't eat everyone. Um, <laughs> um, Are you still recording? I am, apparently, I think, <laughs> unfortunately. So there's food for everyone. You really need to do some sleep. And, uh, yes, I haven't known what sleep was since children were born. So, um, and, and I'm grateful for it. So, um, yes, there's plenty of food for everyone. So if you want to stay, I think they're going to do Easter egg hunting later for the kids, stuff like that. If you want to stay and hang out, great. We'd love for you, too. So the Lord bless you guys. If anybody has anything going on, anything they want to pray about, or anything at all, you can just talk to me and tell me.